you know, we, we can't underestimate that power of prayer. I, I can't get my mind off of that, and I don't want to take up too much time about, about me, but I, my knee was hurting. Been hurting for a long time. I've tried everything. I tried, well, I'm not going to go into what all I tried, but I tried a bunch of stuff. And late one night, it was just, I was, I got a high threshold of pain, but I couldn't sleep. I was hurting. I knew I had to go to work the next day. about a year ago. And uh, I called this lady that I knew. I believed that she had the gift of healing. And it was late at night, and I knew she was in the bed. I was in the bed. But I, said, I, I apologized for calling, and, and uh, I said, I need you. I need you. And, and, and it was just me and her and God. And uh, I told her what was going on. I was in tears. I said, I don't, I don't know what's wrong with it, but it hurts. And uh, she done something, according to Scripture. I don't know what she said, what she prayed. She told me to hang up when she hung up, and I did. All I know is I was healed. 30 minutes later, I went to sleep. I woke up and went to work. It ain't never hurt since. Never. And that's all I know. I know the prayer works. Now, it just doesn't have to be a big show. Well, let's get to this. When it looks too late for a comeback. Some of you think it's too late for a comeback, that you don't have enough time. I want to tell you that it's never too late for a comeback in your life. There is always something knew that God can do in your life. The truth is for you and me, as long as you and I are breathing on this planet, there is time for a comeback in our lives. It is never, ever too late for a comeback. And the life of Moses is a powerful example of that. You know, maybe for you, it's been a long time since you've been in this setback because of some mistakes that you made, some, some, some opportunities you messed up. And you may be thinking, well, others are good for a comeback, but not for me. My setbacks were, were so bad, they were so long ago, that it's just not going to happen for me. My prayer and my hope for you today is that the life of Moses gives you some hope. You may not get back what you lost. The job, the, the money, the house, the marriage. But I want to tell you, as your pastor, God still has a comeback for you. There is still some new things that he wants to do for your life. Moses is a story of all stories. Uh, for comebacks. His very life began with a comeback. 
three months old. Three months old. He was, he was a baby. But because of the population growth of the Egyptians, Pharaoh wished that all the babies would die. Put him in a basket in the river and wound up at the Pharaoh's house. That's a heck of a comeback. Look what happens as Stephen writes in the book of Acts. One day when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. So Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. The next day he visited them again and saw two men of Israel fighting. He tried to be a peacemaker. Men, he said, you're brothers. Why are you fighting each other? But the man in the wrong pushed Moses aside. Who made you a ruler and judge over us? He asked. Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard that, he fled the country and lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. Well, he lived in the land of Midian for 40 years. He was scared because he knew that someone knew that he'd killed someone. And he figured if Pharaoh found out that he would face the consequences. He married a lady there and he became a shepherd in the land of Midian. 40 years. 40 years of a setback. There was no possible way in his mind of, of there ever being a, a comeback until this happens. Acts seven thirty. Stephen writes this. 40 years later, in the desert near Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to Moses in the flame of a burning bush. Mm. Look at it in a little more detail in Exodus. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far to the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. I'm going to tell you something, guys. Moses is getting set up for a comeback. And it starts with this, this burning bush experience. And I don't think this, is, this experience is unique to Moses. Now, now, the bush was unique. But I think there's a burning bush experience that awaits most of us if not all of us, many of us. Here's what I'm talking about. Write this down in your outline. A burning bush. It, it, this is what I'm talking about. In the midst of the routine, when you least expect it, you are surprised by God's invitation. That's the burning bush that I'm talking about. In the midst of routine. Every day walking around life. When you least expect it, you are surprised by God's invitation. This was the experience for Moses. And guess what? It can be for you and for me too. In the routine life. Every day walking around life. It was routine that day. He was just tending sheep. There was nothing different going on. He least expected it. He'd been there 40 years. 40 years. What will be different about this day? 
He's surprised. You know why he's surprised? God showed up. God showed up. Now, what that made that bush, what made that bush extraordinary is also what God can make extraordinary in your life, the fire. The fire was what made that bush extraordinary because it was God's presence in the middle of that bush. Let me tell you something about God's presence. It changes things. God's presence changes things. It can, it can cause a bush to catch on fire. And I'm going to tell you about God's presence. It can cause people's life to change. That's what God can do. Look what happens as Moses gets closer. Four through five. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am. Moses replied. Then the Lord warned him, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I love it that the first thing Moses hear, hears is his name. The first thing he hears from the bush is his name. And that's my prayer for you today. I prayed this morning before I got here on the way that you are going to hear your name called out. That was my prayer in the truck that just like Moses did from the bush, I pray that you hear your name called out. Stacy, Johnny Paxton, David, Miss Jackie, I pray that you hear your name called out today. I pray that God will say something to you personally. Personally. Because I believe this is holy ground. I believe that chair that, that you're sitting in is holy ground. A place where God shows up in your life. That's what makes it holy. Not because it's in this building. But I pray that God shows up in your life today and, and talks to you personally. Moses had a meeting with God. That gave him the power to take the next step in his life. And, and, and looking at this, and, and, and you can see, you can see today, I pray that you see today how God challenges us through the struggles that, that each and one, every one of us are going to have. It's not always easy. We're not always sure that we want to go in, in, in that direction. It's scary. It's, it's, it's risky. What am I trying to say here is sometimes God has a comeback ready for you, but you ain't ready for the comeback because it's scary. It's risky and you're just not ready, but you got to have this conversation with God and you're afraid to even hope for a comeback. Because you don't want to be disappointed one more time. Moses went through all of this in this meeting with God up on Mount Sinai. He has the same emotions that, that you and I have. And when God wants to do something new, something great, a comeback in our lives, Moses has the same questions that a lot of us have. When God says those things to us, 
We're going to talk about four questions that Moses has that a lot of us have. And how God answers them. Just like he will you and I. You see, this ain't no fairy tale. This is for you and me. Let's look at these four questions. You know, uh, God told Moses he wanted to set the people free. He said, I want you to go talk to the Pharaoh. Now, now remember, Moses is 80 years old. He said, I want you to go talk to the people. I want you to, to lead, them, lead them out of Israel, and I want you to talk to Pharaoh. And the very first question is this. Write this down. He says, who am I? Who am I? I don't have it in me. I'm a shepherd now. Mo, uh, 11 and 12, but Moses protested. He, here we go. We're going through a line of Moses protested. But Moses protested to God. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. All right, now, like I said, Moses is in this protest mode. He says, I'm too ordinary. He said, I'm not qualified. You, you know, I'm just not able to do this. Here's the truth of the matter is if you're looking at your qualifications, it's never going to work. You might say, you could even be back there like Tate was asking you to do. Go back there and look and say, well, I'm too young or too old. I'm, I'm too short. I'm too tall. I'm, I'm too fat. I'm too skinny. I'm too dumb. I'm, I'm too smart. God says, Moses, don't look at your qualifications. Don't look at your qualifications. If you look at your qualifications, you'll have them in the wrong place. You'll wind up in the wrong place. Sometimes we get settled in our setbacks, I believe. We get, to, we get comfortable back there. Because it's what the word we use in the beginning, routine. We're in a routine. Someone used in one of my conversations this week, I believe it was David, we coasting. Might not have been you, but somebody said coasting. Coasting. We're just coasting. It's just the way things are. But guess what? God says, no. I got something better for you. I got something better for you to do. But sometimes we get stuck. We feel like there's no way out. But God has an answer. Look what his answer is. Write this down. I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be with you. God, God could have said, Moses, you're the only one that can do it. Remember what you went through for the first 40 years? You got a connection to Pharaoh. None of that was mentioned. None of that was mentioned. Because he doesn't point to Moses' qualifications. Because he says, I will be with you. You see, when we're called to do something, when we believe that we need to, to get out of the, and, and head toward this comeback, we got to quit looking at who we are and look who God is. God says, I will be with you. He means that for you too. Me, you too. That, that whatever you're going through, I'll be with you. If he's kind of tapping you on the shoulder today, I want to tell you, God will be with you. The bush wasn't special. God's presence was, presence was special. His presence was special. God can work in your life. It's not about 
your ability that matters. It's your availability. I've told people all the time, you know, we're just fortunate. We have some blessed people that in, in different areas, in, in, in worship and in service. It ain't about your talent. It's about whether you're spirit-filled. That's the first qualification that we believe we look for. Are you spirit-filled? Because God is more than able to make up any difference. He's more than able to make up for any lack of ability that you and I might have. Every Sunday, just about every Sunday, I almost feel inadequate to, to, to I start to say stand up here, but I, I sit up here. That, that, and, and, and I've had to, to learn and, and, and remember that, that God will be with me in the midst of it. But we truly are inadequate to, to the great things that God wants to do. But God's more than adequate. And our, our adequacy is from God. Our choice is, is to go after comfort and control or we choose to go after God's love. To answer this question, who am I? Trust God to give you the strength every step of the way. This brings us to the second question. If, we, if he answered who am I, the second question is this. Who are you? God says, Moses, I'll be with you. The natural question Moses says is, who are you? If I'm going to lean on you, God, then i got to know some things about who you are. Verses 13 to 14 says, but Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they're going to ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. Well, thanks, God. <laughs> that clears everything up. It, it even sounds like an unfinished sentence. I am. I am. Explained everything perfectly. What God is saying is, I am the one that meets your every needs. God uses this, this, this name, I am, many, many times in the Old Testament. I want to just give you four real quick. Jehovah Jireh means I am your provision. Jehovah Nisi, I am your victory. Jehovah Shalom, I am your peace. Jehovah Shammah, I am there. I am. I am. God is saying, Moses, I am the one that can meet your every need. Guys, you and me, in a world where we live in a world where we say, I wish, and God is saying, I am. I am. That gives me confidence. I don't have to wish because I belong to, I am. I am. It's the most holy name there is. So what did Moses say? Okie dokie. I don't know what Hebrew is for okie dokie, but that's what he said. Okie dokie, but he said, I still got a couple of more questions. 
I know who I am and I know who you are, but I got a couple of questions here. A couple of more. He says, number three, what about them? What about them? What, what he means by that is these people I'm going to. He's saying, God, I hate to be difficult, but I got a bad feeling a, a, about this. When I go up to Pharaoh, when I go up to the Jewish people and say, look, I'm here because I was talking to a bush the other day. It's going to go downhill from there. What about them, God? What will they think? Proverbs 4, I mean, Exodus 4, 1 and 2 says, but Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. What about them? What about them people? I got a question for you before I get into this point. What are they keeping you from? Write that down because I want you to answer it this week in your prayers. What are they keeping you from? How are they keeping God's best out of your life? You know who they is. What if they reject me? What if they ignore me? What if, what if they look down on me? What if they don't like me? You worry about they so much, you're never going to take the risk. It could even be people that are already gone, moved away from here, or even on into heaven. You still got these voices in your head, and you're never going to take a step of faith. You're paralyzed by fears of what they might think or what they may say. You're paralyzed by what they may do. I got to tell you, as a pastor, confidently I need to tell you, get your eyes off of them and get your eyes on God. How do you do that? God's answer is this. What's in your hand? He looks at Moses, what's in your hand? What I've noticed is sometimes God answers with a question. Answers a question with a question. He says, quit looking at the unknown and then look at what's in your hand. Quit looking at what they might think. Quit looking at what they may say. Quit looking at what they may do. And look what's in your hand. He says, it's a shepherd's staff. Well, God, in the next couple of verses, God says, Throw it on the ground. He threw it on the ground and it turned into a snake. Hope he never tells me to do that. <laughs> I don't mind throwing it on the ground and it comes into a, turns into a snake. It's the next part I don't want him to tell me to do. He said, pick it up by the tail. <laughs> I would say, who am I? <laughs> who am I? He says, pick it up by the tail and it, and it turns back into a staff. This whole lesson to me, it says, take what's in your hand and place it in God's hands. What you got, put it in what he's got. Throw it down and trust God with it. Place it in his hands. Those decisions, those difficulties, those fears, and you put them in God's hand. And when you do that, that's the moment that fears begin to get dealt with. Because in God's hands, things change. In, in God's hands, 
Your, your greatest hurt can become your greatest ministry. Y'all know how sort of skittish I am? And part of my living is I pick up deceased people. People ask me all the time, how do you do that? In the middle of the night, how do you do that? I can tell you, God is with me. When he's there, there is no fear. I'm going to tell you something. I'm your pastor, and some would say, this is my greatest ministry. It is not. My greatest ministry is picking up dead people. When I lost my child, it was the greatest pain of all my life. And God used that to make my greatest ministry, picking up deceased people. Because it's those times in the middle of the night. I'll never forget Leonard Fletcher looking, at me, looking up at me three o'clock in the morning when I walked in that hospital with that gurney to pick up his mother who had passed away. He looked up at me and said, Jim, I'm so glad it's you. I don't know it's not me, but I can walk in and, and even in the midst of people dying, families look at me and smile. I don't know if I'm funny looking. I believe God has given me this gift of soothing people in the midst of their greatest pain. So I believe that is my greatest ministry. But it came out of my pain. Guys, in God's hand, God can turn a, the, a torture of a cross to a place of forgiveness. God turned a tomb into a place of resurrection. In God's hands, he can do all of that. So take whatever is in your hands and place it in his hand. Trust him. You're going to be amazed at the freedom. Give God what you got. Let me tell you something. God ain't looking for the extraordinary. You know why? He's already extraordinary. He don't need you and me to make him extraordinary. He's looking for ordinary people. Ordinary people. That's what brings him glory. That's what brings him glory. So what's in your hand? What's in your hand that you need to place in his hand that you've been holding on to? Even after that miracle about the snake, Moses said one more question. Write this down. How about this? How about this? To me, this was a big question. He saved it for last. How about this? You know what he does? He gives big reasons why it won't work. It won't work. He knows God can't work through him because of this. What about this? Exodus 4.10 says, Moses pleaded with the Lord. He then went from protesting to pleading. Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you have, been, have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied, and my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? He's saying, God, you can't forget about my speech. You, you can't do that. Moses felt handicapped. 
And there's all kinds of handicaps, especially what me and you face. We don't just face our, our, our mouths. You, you know, there's bad decisions that were made. We, we, we throw up to God our past is a handicap. We throw up to God our lack of education. Education is a handicap. Some of us even throw up our age is a handicap. We're too old or we're too young. You're not too young. I want to tell you something. The only one, and I'm not going to just throw him up there because he's kin to me, but the only one that come forth and said, I'll be, I'll be North Point's children's pastor was a 20-year-old young man, Luke Pinkard. Out of 700 people. But he's the one. That's not said to make you feel bad. I'm just telling you, you ain't too young. And you're not too old. You're not handicapped. Quit saying I can't because of this. Stop filling in that blank. Because God has an answer for us. And his answer is this. I'm in control. He looked at Moses and said, Moses, I'm in control. You're not. What did he tell him? He said, I created you. I know about your mouth. I'm in control. That's what he was saying when he said, I made your mouth. Let me tell you something. Before you start hollering to God about your handicap, God is aware of your handicap. Amen? Amen. He made you. But he also wants you to be aware of his power. His power. God is aware of your shortcomings. He also wants you to know of his overwhelming strength. His power. God reminds Moses that he understands. God reminds Moses that he cares. But he still wants to work through him. I want to tell you, through all your excuses, God still wants to work through you. He says, now go. How much time have you wasted? How much time have you wasted being depressed? Stagnant. Felt like you was going nowhere because you're resisting what God wants to do through your life. I wasted a year running from what God wanted me to do. Guys, I want to tell you, man, your handicap is not in control. God is in control. God is in control. When I look around, I looked around at my group this morning. Me and three other men. This is what I thought about them three men. And when I look back through this room, I think of y'all. There again, please know my heart. No, I'm not trying to. If I would have said no, if I would have held on to my excuses that God, I'm not smart enough, I would have never had almost all of the relationships that I have now. I would have never known Craig Robertson because he come in here from somewhere up north 
Indiana. Same thing. <laughs> Illinois. But I did. I looked at him and said, I would have never known him because the only reason I know him because he came to church. What if we just said no, Pack? I looked at Robert Bouchel. I'd never got to know this plumber. And his wife, Michelle Bouchel. I think that's cool. I'd have never been able to be taught by Bert Cook and met his lovely children. I just run into the, started running through the things of, I would have never, I would have never, I would have missed it all. You may be missing a lot. You may be missing a lot. Your past isn't in control. God is in control. Your disappointments are not in control. God is in control. Moses finally says yes to God, and he has a comeback. I'm going to tell you, when I look out at y'all, I see comeback. After a year, I finally said yes. Just think about what Moses would have missed if he'd have said no. He'd have missed the splitting of the Red Sea. I hope they do it again up in heaven. I want to walk through there and see, see fish and stuff on each side. I want to see shrimp swimming by me. You know, stingrays and stuff. And just like a big aquarium. I want to see that. I hope they replay it. But he would have missed that. He'd have missed a pillar of cloud. Remember, it was a pillar of cloud leading the people. He would have missed the manna falling from heaven. He would have missed the rock spewing out water. He would have missed seeing, almost getting there to the promised land. He would have missed all of that. But guess what? When he said yes, he didn't even know about all that. When I said yes and Pac and David said yes, we didn't know about all y'all. That's what's weird when you think about it. I didn't know about Craig Roberts. I didn't know about Robert Bouchelle and, and, and Bert Cook. I didn't know about all of that stuff. Saying yes was just taking one step. And Moses, when he said, yes, I'll do it, he took one step towards Egypt. Just one step. One step is all you have to take to start the comeback. So I got to ask you this morning, what step of faith do you need to take? What do you need to take? How did Moses take that first step? Real quick, we're winding up. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. The risk was worth the reward. And it ain't stuff. You see, the reward I've had in the last 20 years is you. The reward I have in the last 20 years is baptizing James Ramsey this morning. 
The reward I'm getting this morning is baptizing. Darling shook this morning. And I never knew him. And I may not ever have. Moses couldn't see the reward, but he kept going. Hebrews eleven twenty seven said, He had his eye on the one that no eye can see, and so kept right on going. Let me give you some news. Only the invisible God can do the impossible. That's actually worth writing down. Only the invisible God can do the impossible. What are you waiting on? Have you settled in to your setback? It just takes one step to start a comeback. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the musicians to be coming on up. And uh, I'm going to pray. And uh, then we're going to, going to sing. You guys are going to sing. And if you want to come pray, the elders are here. They want to pray with you. And, 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 and just however the Lord leads you. But I'm going back. We're going to baptize. Well, Darling's here and James is here. Isn't it fun to baptize people? It is fun. I don't want you to leave. Please don't leave. And uh, please don't do that. Don't, don't make me call you out. <laughs> Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. I thank you for everyone here. I thank you for opportunities. I, I thank you for giving us the courage, the faith to step out and say, yep, we'll do it, God. We didn't see all these people. We didn't see what you would have done. We didn't see the influence that you would work through us. But my Lord, you have. And there's still a lot to do. I want you to know, Lord, we're available. We're still here. We're, us three families are still here. But there's lots of new ones attached. We've multiplied in your name. I pray that you use us. You use us for your kingdom, for your glory. To go to the ends of the earth. Proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. We love you and it's in your name we pray. Amen.